As we remember the Ukraine crisis throughout this episode, my mind is drawn to our Disaster and Famine Relief Offering, or DFRO, coming up on May 13, 2023. Our year of creating a just world has so far been a rewarding one, where ADRA Canada has had the unique opportunity to focus on ensuring justice for those around the world struck by disasters, such as the Turkey-Syria earthquake and Cyclone Freddy, or the 828 million who are suffering in what is known as the world's greatest hunger crisis in 13 countries. For our DFRO this year, we are filtering everything through the lens of mothers who journey through these crises. By sharing their stories, we share our stories. Their journey is our journey. Dear listeners, dear friends, don't hesitate to give wholeheartedly to this special offering on May 13. Or in fact, go to our website at adra.ca backslash DFRO to donate today. Or even become a monthly donor and be part of our Angels Impact Network of donors. We greatly thank you for your support and know that our work is empowered by your generosity. Okay, um, I can see Ukrainian national hymn. This, what I think will be interesting. Usually it's a lot of people, but today it's me. But anyway, I will try. It is now April of 2023, and it has been over a year since Russia began its invasion of Ukraine in February of 2022. At this point, the ongoing war isn't news to most people. Perhaps the most striking thing for those of us not in the immediate vicinity of the violence is just how quickly a year has passed. But for those who have been directly affected by the violence in Ukraine, the experience is altogether different. What passed like another set of headlines for many of us was a staggering disruption of normalcy. For many Ukrainians and those in neighboring countries, this invasion meant drastic, painful, and potentially long-lasting changes in their lives. Last year, several leading members of ADRA Canada's team traveled to Ukraine, Romania, and Moldova to check in with the survivors of the war as well as the extended ADRA teams in those countries. 
Some of the team members who went are names that our listeners might recognize. Anita, our Emergency Management Director. Maddie, our Gender Equality Advisor. Steve, ADRA Canada's Executive Director. And Douglas, our Philanthropy and Marketing Director. You will hear the voices of these individuals throughout this episode. Our hope is that they can shed some light on their perspectives and attitudes as philanthropic leaders in the face of such a huge problem. During this trip, the team also gathered interview clips with numerous people in Ukraine and Romania. Some are our fellow ADRA staff, working locally in the conflict zones or in areas receiving refugees. Others are survivors who are willing to share their stories. We had the privilege of hearing testimonies from brave people who have endured so much. So many, in fact, that we may have to split up the content into a couple of episodes in order to fairly represent every story. It is an honor and privilege for us to share some of these stories with you, and we hope that you find insight and inspiration in them. It is worth saying, though, that some of these interviews are very intense, both in terms of the content of the stories, as well as the emotions displayed by the interviewees as they share. Please be aware that while some of these are stories of survival and perseverance, they are also stories of violence and suffering, and some individuals may find them difficult to listen to. May all these stories and the lesson we learn from them not be forgotten. I'm your host, Teresa Ferreira. And I'm the producer, Max Aka. And this is the ADRA Insider Podcast. So to begin, here's Maddie, who you'll remember from the previous episode on water access and women's empowerment in Sudan. Uh, Thank you, Teresa. As you know, it's now over a year since the war in Ukraine has started, and the war caused the days of close to 8,000 civilians, left millions of people without basic services, and made millions flee to other neighboring countries. So in response to this crisis, ADRA Canada is implementing a project called Life-Saving Evacuation Assistance and Protection in Ukraine, Romania, and Moldova, with the support from the Government of Canada. So if you're wondering what ADRA has actually been up to in Ukraine, let's first hear from someone who has witnessed it firsthand. Hello, my name is Artem Dikteruk. I am Vice President for Programs with ADRA Ukraine. Right now, Adra Ukraine is responding to the humanitarian situation, humanitarian crisis in the country, and we are actually trying to get people access to the basic needs of food, water, hygiene, and shelter, of course. Now we are facing winterization, that's why this is very crucial to provide at least, of course, we will not be able to, to cover all people and cover the whole gap, but we are aiming to at least minimize this gap and help the most vulnerable from those that will be able to reach. Something that we've mentioned previously on this podcast is that it's difficult at times to keep our audience up to date moment by moment with the exact stats of what's going on. It takes time to go into the country to report on our findings, take a survey of what's going on, and then update you all. By the time we get the information to you, sometimes it's a little bit out of date. But in any case, here are some of our most recent statistics, and they are staggering. 
5.4 million people in Ukraine are internally displaced right now, meaning they are not living where they normally would be living. They've had to move around in order to survive. Over 8,000 total civilians have been killed and over 13.4 thousand have been injured. There are over 17 million people currently in need right now. Now, dark as those statistics may be, ADRA has of course been very active. Over 18 million US dollars was allocated for ADRA Ukraine's interventions, including humanitarian transportation, psychosocial support, shelter, non-food item provision, and so on. There are over 7 million people who have directly benefited or been reached by ADRA Ukraine's ongoing interventions to this date. One of the notable things that ADRA did during this time, during this crisis, has been transporting people out of Ukraine. Some of you may recall stories that we'd published about a fleet of buses and ambulances that were used to help evacuate people. As it stands right now, there's about 55,000 people who have been transported to safety by ADRA Ukraine and this particular type of intervention. And there's a whole bunch of different ways that we've been helping people escape. So there are good things going on. I want to highlight that we are cooperating with other agencies. We are cooperating with our international partners, as well as the government of Canada. We're doing all kinds of things. And I want to highlight that as a way of focusing on the positive, because if I'm honest, there's a lot of material in this episode that is going to be a bit of a downer. And I don't want it to seem like it's all dreary and bleak. But we do need to be honest about what the situation has been and what it continues to be. Now, with that being said, let's hear what it was like from our team that went over to Ukraine last year. Here's Adja Canada's executive director, Steve Matthews. As we visited Ukraine, I was just just really amazed at the level of destruction that's taken place in that country. We were, as we drove around, you could just see the absolute beauty of the country, the buildings, the architecture, uh, just such an amazing place, especially as we were in Kiev and going through just such an amazing place. However, as we're going through um, that area, the air sirens start going up while we're driving down the road and uh, just brought a real feeling of, of unease as we're going through. As we toured around the country, the, the sirens went off a number of times to the point that when we actually left Ukraine and we heard a, a, when I heard an ambulance siren, my first thought was, oh, it's another air raid alarm. And then I realized, no, wait a minute, that's, that's just an ambulance. Um, you know, that, that feeling will always stay with me. But also when we visited the communities of Bucha and Irpin, which were just outside of Kiev, these are locations where they, they made international news during the war because it was considered the place where uh, the stand was taken against a convoy of tanks coming into, into the city. And that's where, where many of the tanks were destroyed. But the absolute total destruction of homes, gas stations, supermarkets, warehouses, uh, there was just so much destruction. There were destroyed tanks left on the sides of the road still. You could just see the, the effects of war everywhere, uh, you know, blown up condominium or apartment buildings, just 
total destruction in, in many of these areas. There were one area where we crossed, they're, they're now rebuilding the bridge, but the Ukrainian military blew up their own bridges going into Kiev to be able to stop the Russian army from advancing into the capital city, which was considered a, a key target for the, the Russians to be able to overtake in, uh, in trying to win the, the war. The thing that um, hit me most was the devastation. This is Anita Odandi, our Emergency Management Director, describing her personal experience visiting Ukraine. Because I have been to Ukraine several times before, when the war was happening in the East, and there was a lot of damage, and we had to wear bulletproof vests because of what was going on at the time. But it was different this time. It was bad then, but it was worse this time because the devastation was wider and it had even reached Kyiv and reached the places that were very safe. It had affected everyone, the community and the people that were receiving help from Adra that we visited had stories that were heart-wrenching. What's your name? Hello, my name is Yulia. How was the war for you? Um, it's a really hard question because the war, it's always hard and uh, unexpected and uh, terrifying and um, all words, all bad words uh, which you can imagine, it's about war and uh, about uh, these feelings. So it's disaster. Now, Yulia had the unique misfortune of being away from her family when the violence broke out. And so what she describes here is knowing that they would have to do the evacuation from their home without her? You know, for me, um, it was um, hard, like emotional, because uh, unfortunately in that time I wasn't uh, being Ukraine. So I understood that uh, my husband and my kid uh, should do it by themselves. And um, I was lost. Really, I didn't understand what's happening uh, and uh, how they will um, manage with all these uh, terrifying things. And um, it was really very, very hard. She also spoke a bit to the experience of being displaced and what it's like to live day by day and the kinds of unexpected challenges that come with having escaped the immediate war zone. It's very hard when you wake up in the morning and you think, okay, what I should do now? And you don't know how to answer to yourself in this question. It's really not, not, not easy. The thing is, as anyone knows, life is hard as it is. And the problems that already exist on the day-to-day -day don't just go away because some kind of crisis is happening. And this was especially true for the next person we're featuring. Uh, my name is Lena. I'm a mama with a special boy. He have a epilepsy, okay. not control epilepsy. Mm. And it is a problem, it's difficult it is. Yeah. And uh, we're from Kiev, we live in Kiev and okay. stay all the time here. Okay, I'll see you from here. Yes. Okay. As you've probably noticed, the audio quality 
is a bit rough in this interview, and this is the case with a few other interviews. The team honestly did not have the perfect environment or circumstances for like a proper studio recording of these interviews. So at times, I'm going to pop in here just to summarize what is being said in the interviews rather than letting them play out in full. It's honestly just really hard to hear what's being said. So here, Lena tells us that she is a mother of a 15-year-old son who has had epilepsy since he was five years old. She says that on average, he has about two to three episodes per day, every day, and that she has also spent quite a lot of time pursuing further diagnosis since she suspects that he actually has a further condition besides just epilepsy. Yes, and uh, nobody can find what is the problem. Now, obviously, something like this would already be quite a big burden, quite a big challenge for any parent to manage let alone having to deal with it on top of the onset of an invasion and having to flee from a war coming to your country. And as she tells it, on the day when the invasion started, she did not initially believe that it was even happening. It was part of her trying not to panic. She assumed that because they were in Kyiv, they were in the most well-protected spot that they could be in. There was no way this was going to reach us. Thankfully, they were not immediately hit by Russian forces, and they had a short moment to come to terms with the fact that this was really happening. Steve goes on to ask her how she got in contact with and how she became involved in Adra's program. Her response? She had heard about the help that Adra was offering through a friend. At first, she was hesitant to believe it was true. In the instances where she had reached out to other organizations, she hadn't ever really gotten much response. Only Adra responded to her. She was also not really accustomed to asking others for help, but felt like she had no other choice but to try, especially given that her son had very special needs and required specific medications. And of course, she had no job in order to pay for them. For her, one of the biggest problems that has resulted from this war has been trying to manage the psychological stress of knowing that any day could be the last day that she could find her son having an episode with his illness and choking and it could all be over and just the constant dread of knowing that that's the case and that there's not that much help for her the other thing she mentions is that in a broader sense it has been very difficult for her to know what to really do with her life do they stay in kiev do they go elsewhere what what are they going to do for her a big part of the balancing act seems to be staying where there are more resources that might help her son or going elsewhere where they might have better safety and like distance between them and the violence. In what comes across as a lighter moment in the interview, Lena does assert that she thinks of herself as being pretty strong and that she has resorted to meditation and just thinking abstractly about what's going on as a way to find peace in the midst of everything falling apart. She's pretty strong against the stress, she's saying. Yeah. She's that. Yeah. Abstraction, yeah. meditation. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, it's a joke, but uh, that helps. Yeah, I guess I believe that helps. Yeah. Another way from this. Yeah. Lena goes on to specifically thank Adra for the cash and food assistance she received early on when she came seeking help. For her, one of the biggest issues was not being able to access or afford the food that was available in stores, and the cash assistance that she received from Adra meant that her and her son were able to get the food that they needed to survive. At first, it will be a problem. It was a problem. Food was the problem. Food, yes, in, in the shops. 
But once that was taken care of, for Lena, the real priority returned to being caring for her son. And by her own admission, making sure that he could access the medication and treatment that he needed was much more important to her than even being able to put food in her own mouth. Okay, it was more good. important for me that they, than eat, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I cannot eat, mm -hmm. <laughs> not a problem. Yeah. Problem I see every day in my son. Mm -hmm. He needs in my uh, help. But for me, one of the most striking moments in this interview is when Lena expresses her wish that some of the humanitarian organizations could also offer psychosocial support and food support to many of the people who were forced to join the military, having been civilians themselves, but having no choice but to enlist in order to defend the country. And, and that's, that's the challenge is when it comes to humanitarian aid, it can go to the citizens, but it can't go toward anything that funds even to help the military. It's just political. Yeah. I study in the university international yeah. relationships. Yeah. Because I know what it is. It's yeah. just political and we don't know what what they think about this. But I do <laughs> I, I know that the way that Canada is doing things, um, so like organizations like ADRA get money to help the citizens. But the Canadian government um, is actually being able to provide supplies to the Ukrainian government directly. So they don't do it through us, they do it direct. So that's, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. This probably makes for a really good takeaway point for those of you who are listening for the insider part of ADRA Insider. These are the kind of factors we have to keep in mind when we are engaging in humanitarian work. There are some things that we can do, and there are some things that we can't do. There is assistance that the government of Canada, for example, will give through an organization like ADRA or another humanitarian organization, and we will dispense things like financial assistance and food and evacuation. But there are other ways that world governments will directly cooperate with the government of a nation that definitely do not involve humanitarian organizations. And so those are the kinds of factors that we have to keep in mind and be able to explain to people when we say like, hey, we can do this, we can do X, Y, and Z for you, but we can't do this, that, and the other for you. Even uh, this psychological support, one can say, or it's on this mm. level, it's very important for them to know that there is the other country who do care about people here. Mm -hmm. Just uh, that it's on the international level. They feel, okay, uh, it made me sure, for example, that I probably can go to Canada and I will receive help there. Yeah. So maybe I go to Poland instead of staying here in Kiev when it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. This makes you more sure that uh, people care about you there. And yeah. If the world together. Well, one thing, I, when you, like in Canada, Ukrainian flags are everywhere. <laughs> that you, Ukrainian flags. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on, actually, on the lawn of ADRA, we have Ukrainian flag <laughs> on our lawn. So, yeah. so Canada definitely stands with Ukraine. And... Yeah, we, 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 we are politically impartial, we have to be, but Canada as a whole is, uh, yeah. Thank you. It's very important for us because this is a problem of the world. It is. This is a danger for all of us. Yeah. 
Obviously, there is a certain amount of psychological support and reaffirmation that comes from knowing that there are people around the world that stand with you as you go through a difficult circumstance. And I think one of the important takeaways for us to get out of this conversation is just how much of an emphasis Lena put on psychological and psychosocial support, both in the sense that she's trying to provide for her son's medical needs and his health needs, but also for her sense of well-being and the ability to continue on in the face of such difficulty. Here's Maddie again speaking to exactly this issue. The other important aspect um, that I observed in this project is the importance of integrating protection or mental health and psychosocial support in any humanitarian work to address the traumatic experience survivors face uh, during the war. Uh, it makes a lot uh, easier for them to handle or to cope with the stress they have. And it also makes it easy for them to navigate services available to them in the host countries. You may have also noticed that the stories we've highlighted so far have been stories about women. And there's a reason for that. Women and their children are the most affected by the civil war. They're exposed to increased level of traumatic experience, which include direct exposure to gender-based violence, disruption of family structure, and social disintegration. So last October, I had an opportunity uh, to visit uh, these projects and I had a chance to meet up with uh, the community, uh, the team and other service providers in the area. I was really impressed to see the courage and resilience of Ukrainian women, both as survivors as well as service providers. I appreciated that the Ukrainian women play critical roles during and after the conflict. Yulia and Lena are just two examples out of probably countless Ukrainian women who have had to make extraordinarily difficult decisions in very difficult circumstances over the course of the last year. And it's important for us to remember that survivors are not just statistics, but real people with real-life stories like any of the rest of us. For ADRA, though, one of the things that makes this situation so unique is that there is not necessarily a hard, defined line between victims and survivors and those who offer them help. Anita can elaborate on that. The community and the people that were receiving help from ADRA that we visited had stories that were heart-wrenching. And this time, it was not limited to the people that were receiving aid from ADRA. It extended to our own staff. The ADRA staff had the same exact stories as the people that we were helping. For example, one of our psychologists has also the broken house uh, in the Bucha region. So uh, me, I have, uh, unfortunately, uh, my parents' house uh, was hit by the rockets, so we had the destroyed roof. And a lot of people from Edra family in Ukraine, unfortunately, also uh, have this uh, problem. So we are deeply connected, not only with the words, we know all the... Um, difficulties uh, and problemacy, you know, um, here in Ukraine. Sorry, I wasn't able to get the name of that last individual, but suffice it to say, she is part of ADRA Ukraine. Again, in my interaction with uh, the project team, I was impressed by the commitment and devotion uh, of the staff to respond to the effect of the war. And they work day and night selflessly to serve their people and putting themselves in life-threatening uh, danger on everyday basis. So this really, um, it touched me. And for many nights, I had to spend long hours praying and listening to 
Christian music of hope and um, the coming of Jesus because the devastation was more than the buildings and the infrastructure. It was in the hearts of the people and unfortunately still ongoing. The last interview that I want to share with you today comes from yet another member of ADRA Ukraine. You actually heard him earlier towards the beginning of this episode. It's Artem, the VP for Programs at ADRA Ukraine. And the audio on this interview is quite a bit better, so I'm going to try to let it run and not interrupt unless I absolutely have to clarify something that was said. Can you tell me how the war has impacted your personal life? Um, The war has impacted my personal life uh, in the full extent because uh, my family uh, moved to the uh, abroad. They are in Norway right now, but before they were in Poland. Uh, so my mother, my um, my aunt and uh, other relatives, they are all abroad. And uh, in some extent, I felt myself that the um, risk of being uh, killed or shoot is uh, very high and uh, you are going on the edge. You are feeling this uh, chance of being uh, no no longer alive within a second because you hear there and here about the uh, cases of just civilians uh, going from point A to point B and they are no longer alive because they were just not in the right moment there. So there are no rules. There are no uh, means where you can guarantee that now you are in safe place as long as you are within the country of Ukraine. So for me, uh, that life, this uh, war uh, showed that you should uh, capture and value every moment and uh, re-evaluate what you are living for, what I do, what you are doing, what's the purpose of your life, and that this can end with any moment. That's why. Uh, there is chance to be useful for somebody else. And uh, for me, this war showed again that at the moment I'm in the right place. And I uh, saw that God used me uh, to help uh, many people. And we could continue to do the projects that we do, for example, five, 10 or 15 projects. But in the reality, we have realized within these seven months, I would say seven months already, until now it's seven actually, seven months we have been we have done uh, around uh, 200 projects because there were so many projects that are not on the dashboard that they're not uh, reported on the board meetings or adcom they are our individual projects you know and uh, there are people that would be telling that uh, the house is destroyed uh, do you know if there is any assistance uh, uh, that can be provided or uh, delivered and it's a such a pleasure to realize that indeed there is opportunity to provide them with assistance. Of course, not the full uh, uh, level, but uh, on the level that can be enough to overcome the current difficulties, this is a lot. And this is great. And I am very thankful to the God and to all the partners like Adra Canada and other other offices all over the world that took care and uh, recognized that uh, the challenges and the needs in this country and we are trying to do all what they can to support people in need, people that are affected by the conflict. 
Is there a specific story that has touched you during this war? Uh, there are plenty of them and... Uh, uh, no. And, and the, it's quite like uh, the most painful moment because uh, if I can like uh, I think like all of us we can uh, our imagination work uh, quite well I I assume just as being human uh, human beings and cre uh, created by God so if, uh, when I start to imagine myself I just uh, 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 put myself back in that uh, uh, like e events and times when it was happening. Uh, so uh, that would be the story of the of the people like myself uh, that are not not alive. So yeah, I am alive and we are alive. That's that's good for us to continue. Uh, continue what we are doing and uh, recognize that and try to be helpful to this uh, world but uh, there are many that, uh, that are not guilty but uh, they're dead and that, that's that thing. I think that's the biggest uh, my personal story or uh, evidence that I can always uh, will always keep keep with my life uh, that uh, life can stop immediately and uh, it doesn't ask permission, you know, to stop. And uh, there are many kids and elderly that lost their lives. Um, among elderly, there are many people that don't have internet and uh, are not very advanced and they, that they will not be able to and blow internet and say, hey, hey, come here, I am in need. So they are like silent. They would stay in their home and eating like piece of porridge or what, and they would say, oh, there is somebody else who needs more assistance. Because uh, there are, of course, so many people in need. And my biggest fear is that uh, to, to pick up those that the most needed. We cannot help everyone. But for example, the project would have just 2,000 seats or uh, households or beneficiaries to reach, and that would be the current maximum that we can uh, support in the uh, current response, for example, or current project. But my per my personal fear is: is this the most vulnerable 2,000 people, or is this, uh, or should we still re review that and planning these projects, uh, planning the program? I feel also myself responsibility because the needs are so high but uh, we can do that much that we can. So, of course, I always uh, pray for that So and to try to navigate and put myself in the direct, and the team in the right direction. So, ADRA or any other organization or even any other person, volunteer, was this uh, step or channel through which we gave a hope uh, for the better life and, in general, that they are alive. So that's what my personal experience, and I'm sorry that I was a bit uh, emotional. Not to interject too much of my own personal opinion into this, but it always strikes me as uh, unfortunate when men feel they have to apologize for being emotional. In such dire circumstances, and really in general, it is one of the bravest things that a person can do. So Artem, if you happen to hear this at any point, we just want to say thank you for being willing to share directly from your heart. Now, to our listeners, I know that a lot of that was probably pretty heavy, 
and pretty dense with material, so I want to end with some positive thoughts. And Douglas ends up asking Artem if he has any words to say to Canadians, to people who are supporters of ADRA, ADRA Canada, and people in general in Canada who might be supporting in various ways the efforts in Ukraine. And he had this to say. Um. It may sound I may sound banal and uh, very very uh, promising, or exp- the answer could be expected. But of course, this is the words of gratitude, uh, because uh, Canada is uh, across the ocean, uh, but uh, always is close to uh, Ukraine and uh, to those that are affected by uh, by the conflict, by the war. That's why I say. Th- uh, just my simple um, human thank you that uh, you just didn't pass through uh, this uh, country and the most vulnerable and um, appreciate that you support and appreciate that you are also um, forgiving because there are also many Ukrainians that are in Canada, I imagine, as in other countries and some of them, uh, I don't know, maybe they are... Um, they may be super. The the behavior can be different, but still they all run because of the war, and still in their heart they all um, remember their country, their childhood, maybe their their best li- uh, years, maybe some holidays, maybe some family gathering, and their heart is with Ukraine. They are maybe now in Canada, and so they are worried about what's happening here. But if there, if there is something that is uh, maybe surprising you as a result, just be forgiven because as, a resu- as, as I can uh, realize, um, this world is still full of evil and uh, full of suffering. And it's uh, a great uh, pleasure and honor to have, first of all, to be part of EDRA and to recognize that there is a, a broader agency uh, abroad that is always happy to support and I will never forget even back to the 2014 when Anita called uh, um, myself phone number when I was it was Friday it was afternoon in Kiev time and uh, Anita the work uh, the, the emergency uh, program director of Hydrocanada called me and said that there is opportunity to write a project and this is such a big privilege that in months or in weeks the program is implement is being implemented and then thousands of people receive aid this is something that can't be uh, better explained than just simply thank you and we will not see many of those people that we supported uh, we saw today there was a presentation and we saw that uh, around 8 million people received assistance within seven months thanks to your support but uh, most of them uh, if not all, will not turn back and say, or will look for you and say, oh, Anita, or uh, James, or uh, Doug, or Artem, uh, thank you. You know, they, they, we were just part of their life, but I believe that that, that was a crucial part. And uh, thanks to that, they were able to overcome the difficulties and become stronger, but the most important, become alive or stay alive and with the access to the most basic needs. I think you can see from some of these interview clips that there is a real sense of appreciation that many Ukrainians have for Canadians and the role that we've played in the relief effort. If you recall Yulia from earlier in the episode, she actually expressed a desire to come see Canada at some point. So I'm going to let her have the last interview clip before we wrap this up. We really love to travel and um, 
I hope one day we will have this opportunity and uh, visit Canada and uh, see all this uh, amazing nature and uh, meet um, uh, amazing people and uh, speak to them and uh, open for ourselves uh, this uh, great country. And what's your hope right now? <laughs> I think my hope is like a hope for all, all of Ukraine and all, all of the world that um, the war will stop uh, very soon and uh, Ukraine uh, will be a winner and, um, you know, everything will be fine and people will be happy in our country and um, a lot of families uh, will have um, this opportunity to come back to Ukraine. There are more stories to be told, but this is where we are going to come to a close for today's episode. There is more work to be done in Ukraine, and ultimately the real hope is that the war will come to an end in a way that involves the least amount of further suffering. But of course, we are not so naive. And so we continue to hope for the best while being prepared for the worst. For now, we at ADRA Canada remain committed to doing our best to make a difference in the lives of people in Ukraine and around the world. For anyone who may be directly or indirectly affected by this conflict, please know that the ADRA Canada team is praying for you. May this war end and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm your host, Teresa Ferreira, and as always, our mission at ADRA is to serve humanity so all may live as God intended. See you next time.